Hi guys and welcome back to part two of the June edition of the M&A Monthly Podcast hosted by myself, Lewis Williams. In this second part, we will be discussing one of the biggest mergers proposed in the last couple of years between PSA Group and Fiat Chrysler. After this, we'll also be taking a trip back in time to look at Apple's acquisition of Beats Music in 2014 as a case study for valuations. Okay, so let's begin with one of the biggest proposed mergers in recent years, the complex integration of two car manufacturing giants, PSA Group, um, which is Persia amongst other brands, and FCA, Fiat Chrysler, which also has many brands intertwined within the overall group. Um, So to begin with, as we always try to do, we're going to delve into the history of the two companies, starting off with PSA. PSA Group is a French multinational car manufacturing company which derives from Peugeot Society and on a made acquisition of Citroën in 1976. The group's turnover in 2019 was £74.7 74% of that coming from automobile sales and 80% of those sales coming from the European market, so a key European player. Within PSA Group, other recognisable brands include DS Automobiles, Opel and Vauxhall. The company has also undertaken many joint ventures in its recent past, for example the 2011 PSA and BMW uh, joint force as BMW Citroen uh, Electrification. Um, This was to develop and manufacture hybrid components including battery packs and other hardware and software products for future hybrid vehicles, um, which is a, a key strategic driver behind PSA Group at the moment and something that we'll touch on again later. Um, the company was dissolved, however, this is the uh, the joint venture with BMW, um, only a year later um, when PSA aligned themselves with General Motors. Equally, the company has successfully increased their manufacturing in Asia through partnerships with Toyota and Mitsubishi, big Japanese car names. Now moving over to Fiat Chrysler Automobiles, which is a similar story insofar as the company derives from an acquisition, this time between Italian, Italian car manufacturer and American car manufacturer Chrysler, Fiat being the acquirer and uh, the more historically prevalent company born in 1899. Uh, the Italian car giant completed the 4.9 billion acquisition of the previously bankrupt Chrysler in 2014 and has since turned it into a profitable brand. Unlike PSA Group, FCA has many more subsidiaries and brands under their control, including notable car uh, luxury car manufacturers such as um, Ferrari and Maserati. Um, their 2019 turnover exceeds PSA's at 108 billion euros, um, with a net profit of 6.7 billion euros compared to PSA's 3.7. Okay, so let's go through the theoretical analysis to begin with. This merger is fairly straightforward on the surface, a horizontal integration where two very similar companies join forces. Core competencies are naturally very similar. Synergistic opportunities are numerous and large, predicted to be worth up to the sum of 3.7 billion euros annually based on initial reports. That would be a cost saving of around 2.4% of the combined cost of sales of PSA and FCA based on 2019 accounts, which to a combined entity of that size is really rather significant. Thinking aloud, basic though it may seem, an example might be a a technical economy of scale. Uh, such as producing car parts in higher quantities due to the increased total production. This would reduce cost per unit and lowering overall costs as a result. Further internal uh, economies of scale could be found at the integration 
of management and dealerships. A dealership with 12 different brands, many of which offer different styles of cars, different price points, uh, think DS3 and a Maserati in the same dealership, offers uh, two very different customers um, to be uh, you know, reached within the same dealership and thus you know, creating an advantage for the company. One should highlight there's particular focus on the light commercial vehicle segment, where both groups already control a considerable market share. The proposed merger would give PSA FCA a third of the light vehicles uh, market within Europe. This has raised issues with market competition authority, which is something which we'll go over further. Next, we should look at the performance of the European and global passenger car market for the last two years, comparative to the performance of PSA and FCA. The value of EU car exports fell 2.3% from 2018 to 2019 and are expected to get significantly worse this year. It is predicted global car production will fall 20% largely due to the COVID-19 pandemic stopping dealerships from selling their cars and social distancing regulations permitting the uh, manufacturing of cars. Years previous to this have also been riddled with uncertainty following a slowdown in demand in China, Brexit and the US-China trade war, just to name a few macroeconomic events there. Four million fewer vehicles were sold in 2019 uh, compared to the year previous in Europe, forcing many European brands such as Audi and Daimler, um, the Mercedes co-parent, just to cut costs through laying off thousands of workers. Some of the worst affected of all were the luxury car brands in the UK, such as uh, Bentley, Aston Martin and Jaguar Land Rover, as one might expect with luxury goods uh, in an economic downturn, referring here to the economics theory of luxury goods having an income elasticity of demand greater than one. This is important to mention prior to the download of PSA and FCA's financial performance as both companies' uh, car offerings are mainly made up of cars which target the middle market, despite some exceptions. Um, Looking here at the large majority of um, the product offerings of both companies, they focus on function rather than form. Okay, so let's look at the company's performance in 2018 and 2019. Both PSA and FCA enjoyed healthy profits between 2018 and 2019, although revenues remained relatively flat. Equally, both companies are now considered to be some of the best-run car manufacturers, with much praise headed towards their respective CEOs because of their positive investments made in electronics uh, and also their ability to cut costs. Comparable companies such as Renault, PSA's closest rival, their net income fell 99% from 3.5 billion euros to only 19 million, although other external circumstances must also be considered here. In terms of timing for this merger, the car industry finds itself in unprecedented times, with production and sales in the UK, Europe and US all likely to fall dramatically. This offers shareholders little confidence and uh, and hope for the future. However, strategically, PSA in particular seems well-placed for future growth, focusing on increasing electric car production to reach their goal of being fully electric by 2025. Similarly, FCA looked to turn around their current loss-making car brand, Maserati, through key investments to renew and expand Maserati's product offering with a significant level of electrified powertrains. 
Next up, we're going to be delving into the financial accounts of both companies. Starting with PSA, earnings per share improved in line with profits from 2018 and 2019. However, their debt to equity ratio worsened slightly from 2.16 to 2.2, which although seems slightly high for a capital intensive company around the two mark is average. Impressively, the company managed to improve their net working capital from a negative 1.9 billion euros rounded to only 373 million euros rounded after rationalizing current taxes and increasing other receivables. The group sold 765,000 units, over 555,000 of those were light commercial vehicles, which PSA owns 25% of market share within the European market. FCA also had a successful 2019 with earnings per share growing from 2.3 euros to 4.2. Debt to equity improved from 2.9 to 2.4, however this is still slightly higher than PSA, but still within range for a capital intensive company. Uh, networking capital worsened slightly um, as the significant new investments were made in the Maserati product offering line. Um, but based on these strong results of profits, and um, the board of directors recommended a dividend worth 1.1 billion was to be paid to its shareholders. Importantly, both companies have high excess cash in hand, worth a combined 33 billion euros rounded. This offers an element of security moving forwards and also gives opportunity for the new entity to expand upon its current uh, offering, uh, improving technology within the production and features of their cars, potentially improving long-term revenues whilst also reducing costs through increased efficiencies. Whilst the financial positioning of both companies and the theoretical uh, driving forces behind the deal all make sense, uh, the key issues for both companies will be um, gaining third-party approval due to the fears of reduced competition, especially in the LCV market. As of June 17th, EU regulators launched an in-depth probe into the proposed merger. This is the second investigation after the car makers failed to make any concessions in the first proposal. The merger would make the combined entity the fourth largest car maker in the world, and they would control a third of the European's van market. EU regulators have 90 working days to finish their probe, and a decision has to be made by the 22nd of October. It is likely the deal will either be blocked or approved with conditions attached, in my opinion. Although the merger would offer many advantages to customers, offering a company the opportunity to have an entire third of a market seems unlikely. However, antitrust regulators in China, Japan and Russia have already given the merger clearance uh, and putting real pressure on the EU to a great extent. It'll be interesting to see how this deal swings, one uh, that we can look to return to in October, hopefully. Right then, now we're going to be moving on to the final deal in the June edition of the M&A Monthly Podcast, and we're actually going back in time when Apple completed a $3 billion acquisition of Beats Electronic, a headphones company primarily who were famously co-founded by hip-hop legend Dr. Dre and Interscope Records co-founder Jimmy Lovine. 
The history and story of Beats is really well documented in the Netflix series The Defiant Ones, um, but to those who haven't yet seen the series, the company was founded in 2006 by Dre and Jimmy, and their primary focus was to overcome the impact of piracy on music sales and the substandard audio quality provided by Apple's plastic earbuds. The company's branding and marketing was, in my opinion, some of the best we've seen in years, through use of swish packaging, a quality product, a great logo, and product placement like you wouldn't believe on the best music stars in the world. This made them an extremely popular entity come the early 2010s. So much so, in 2010, HTC acquired 50.1% shares in Beats for $309 million. This part investment was made in the hope that HTC phones would compete with the likes of Apple through associating and implementing Beats branded audio systems within their devices. Although HTC, one must add, would still allow Beats to act autonomously within this time. In January 2012, Beats and Monster Cable would cease their joint partnership. This meant that Beats would now have to employ over 150 members of staff in order to fulfil that gap. This meant that all operations were now done in-house, importantly, making Beats a far more appetising target for acquisition due to the lack of obstacle third-party and existing suppliers often have. Come to September 2013, and Beats had had managed to actually buy back their shares owned by HTC for a total of $275 million, uh, split across two transactions. Later in 2013 came private equity firm Carlyle Group, who made a $500 million minority investment valuing Beats at over $1 billion. On May 8th, 2014, the Financial Times reported that Apple was in negotiations with Beats to purchase the company for $3.2 billion. This would later come true, the purchase being the largest in Apple's history at $3 billion. Uh, one must note that the price did decrease slightly after the due diligence process was concluded. Prior to looking at reasons behind the $3 billion valuation, we should look into the deal structure and the reasons behind Apple's uh, acquisition. What many didn't read into at the time was that the deal was structured so that Apple would pay $500 million for Beats Music, the streaming service app, and $2.5 billion for Beats Electronics. Beats Music had not been a great success, however it did lay a foundation for Apple to build their own music streaming platform, Apple Music, which has since been Spotify's main competitor. Tim Cook, the Apple CEO, said at the time uh, how much he stressed the significance of the Beats Music streaming platform um, and how it's its emphasis on personal music curation rather than playlists that were selected by using algorithms was far superior. This acquisition enabled Apple to take ownership of the app uh, and the patented features within it, um, which enabled Apple to adapt to the strategic shift within the way that we can see music. Compared to Apple's old uh, model of iTunes, which requires an upfront payment to listen to any song in full, Spotify's monthly subscription fee made sense to the on-demand generation, much to the detriment of musicians. The 500 million acquisition of Beats Music can be seen as a goodbye. Apple Music, its successor, now controls 20% of the music streaming service uh, market, um, which is defined as Apple services on their accounts, and contributes um, around $12.5 billion uh, per quarter. Well, that's actually the 2019 uh, Q4 figure, um, which is around 19.5% uh, of quarterly revenues for the company. So really rather large. Um, going back, if we were to have been in Apple Shoes, in 2014, um, looking at comparable companies such as Samsung and Microsoft, um, we would have looked behind the curve, a position uh, Apple is not often comfortable within. Samsung and Microsoft had already made investments in wearable technology. 
Equally, the growth of music streaming services such as Spotify have been evident for years um, previous to 2014 and were seen to be replacing iTunes in years to come, again showing Apple to be behind the curve. iTunes downloads had actually fallen for the first time in a decade in 2014. Meanwhile, Beats were extremely dominant within the highly priced segment of the headphones market, controlling 64 to 70% of the market um, in 2012, and that sort of progressed upwards uh, up until the point of the acquisition. Apple themselves being a luxury brand, with their uh, latest technology often toppling the records for the highest price recording for that relevant genre of product. Um, thus, the two brands seemed kinned, um, as uh, Tim Cook would later say, and to the same target market, making uh, branding integration rather easy quality always being at the forefront of Apple and Beats products. The integration of technology also became easy with uh, Bluetooth enabling connections between iPhone, Apple, uh, Apple Watches and potentially Beats wireless headphones or Beats Pill. As aforementioned, Beats was valued at $1 billion in September 2013 when the Carlyle Group made their investment. So how could Beats' valuation grow threefold in the space of a year? Whilst the acquisition made sense theoretically, from the perspective of valuation, many were quick to insist that Apple were overpaying. Valuation in the tech area has always been a topic of great discussion since the dot-com bubble. Um, Valuation being more of an art than a science, perhaps it doesn't quite align with the more scientifically focused technology industry. Due to Beats Electronic being an LLC, the majority of their financial independent uh, financial information is actually non-public um, information. Thus, we can only really look at um, revenue figures and market share from the time. In 2013, Beats made $1.1 billion in revenue and controlled around 70% of the premium headphone market. Um, revenues increased 30% in the first quarter of 2014 prior to Apple's takeover. Tim Cook stated at the deal closing press conference that the company was only 30% of what, it be- what he believed it could well be in the future, um, which again might surprise many considering they paid $3 billion for it. Um, this shows most of all the power of strategic drive in valuation and also the strength of um, Beats' brand and patented high quality t- audio technology. Since then, the launch of AirPods in, uh, by Apple in 2017 has been proven to be Apple's most successful accessory to date, with predicted revenues of $20 billion in 2020. The H1 chip, which powers the uh, totally wireless headphones, is also the same used in Beats headphones. This chip means that uh, Siri is always listening. Um, a nice example of how integration is still being used by the two brands today. Um, if you were to look solely at the performance of Apple Music and AirPods in 2020, the initial $3 billion paid for Beats, of which can be much attributed to the acquisition, um, would now seem a bargain. Going back to a key question one must always ask when looking to analyse an acquisition is how much is this deal worth to the buyer? Pricing will greatly differ depending on who the buyer is. As Tim Cook stated, Beats was only 30% of the company he believed it could be in 2014. More importantly, it was about the strategic shift to music streaming and wearable tech, which has now paid off tenfold and more. everybody for tuning in to the June edition of the M&A monthly podcast. I hope you took a lot from it. Uh, I hope it was easy to follow and not too much. Uh, I would appreciate if you could like and subscribe if you're listening on uh, podcasts or YouTube. Um, more importantly, any feedback you might have would be fantastic at this early stage. Um, to ensure I read it, please put it in the comment section or to the dedicated email channel, um, which is listed below. But to those listening, it's ma.monthly.pod at gmail.com. Um, thanks again. Uh, I hope 
Hope will be speaking again soon in July. Um, hopefully then be joined by um, Susanna. Um, but, you know, this episode was really rather concise as it was just myself. Um, but I think next next episode will be slightly longer. Um, it'd be more of a discussion-based podcast. Um, but for now, it was really just um, sort of just testing the waters and, and seeing what we thought about the layout. Um, so, yeah, any feedback would be greatly appreciated. But I'll, I'll speak to you guys soon in July. Cheers. Bye-bye. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha